0: Good morning. I'm Peggy. I'm reading from John, the first chapter, verses 35 through 39. The next
1: day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them and said to them, What are you seeking? And they
0: said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour.
1: This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Peggy. Thank you so much, Peggy. It's so great to have you back here um, Yeah, doing the scripture reading. Your sweet vo- voice gets us engaged and prepared to hear from the Lord. Well, good morning, Redemption Tucson. It's great to see you here, and, and I know there's some outside and, and for all of you at home. Um, my name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here, and I normally do the bulk of the preaching, and um, I'm really excited that we have a, a friend of mine on um, this morning, Rashto Joassin. Um, and, uh, he, he lets me call him RJ cause I stutter on ours a lot. Um, but, uh, he's a good friend of mine. Um, as we say that redemption church is one church in multiple congregations throughout Arizona. And, um, we get to, uh, we get to, um, have uh, again a friend and a brother from um, Redemption Alhambra um, come down here so he might share some more about what he does but he um, he leads their youth ministry then also works um, with um, um, a, a ministry really coming alongside youth in um, high schools and in different different contexts so we're excited to um, to have him here and, and just um, to be to be blessed as he um, preaches to us from God's word I know he's from Tallahassee, right? F- Florida, okay, okay. So um, I didn't know if FSU, if you're a, if you're a FSU fan or not who, who did not do so well yesterday, um, Florida State. So anyway, man, sorry to bring that up, um, but I'm excited to bring you up. So um, let's all give a little uh, round of applause and welcome up um, RJ.
0: Good morning, Redemption. How you guys doing this morning? Good. Awesome, awesome. Um, like Dave already said, my name is Rostro Joasson. Most of you guys probably would, would butcher it, which is totally okay and it's fine. So feel free to just call me RJ. Uh, but like Dave said, I come from a long way of uh, Redemption Alhambra. We had an early drive, my wife and I and our kids. Um, so we're a little bit uh, tired, but it's all good. We're so excited to be here this morning. Um, I'll mention just a little bit of what I do. So I do work with Redemption Alhambra serving in our youth uh, ministry, but then also alongside that, I do have a partnership with a uh, an organization called AZ Reach, where we focus on kind of being the bridge from the local community to the church, but most uh, specifically kind of gearing to or towards the, the youth. And there's other different things that Uh, my wife and I, we get to venture into um, that we have been excited uh, to be doing this uh, these past couple of months. So uh, with all that being said, I definitely want to just spend like a couple seconds just to give a huge shout out to my man Dave. Um, I, he's like, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm going to give it, bro. Um, just because my wife and I, we came here three years ago from Florida. Uh, specifically Fort Lauderdale, Florida. We, met, we went to Tallahassee for a short time. Um, that's where we found the Lord, uh, and then we just felt the push to come out here to Arizona. So we, we've been a part of Redemption family for three years. Uh, we've been with Redemption Alhambra Humber for a year, um, but ever since I've met Dave, Dave has been just a huge just encouragement to um, what God has been doing in my own life, uh, Dave has been one of those individuals that every time I see him, he's, been, uh, he's always given me some time, which is really great, but also uh, just has been encouraging, loving, um, and, and I just want to let you guys know that you have an awesome leader. I don't think I need to let you guys know. I think you guys do know. So if you can, this may be a little bit awkward, but can we just give a round of applause for my man, Dave? Uh, and I'm extremely appreciative that he thought of me. Uh, to, to, to be able to step in um, and, and preach this text today, which uh, I'm, I'm really excited to do. So uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to John chapter 1. Uh, we'll be in verses 35 uh, through 51. And Honestly, just because you guys seem very, very cool and chillax, I'm just going to kind of lay my cards out in front of you guys and just kind of let you guys know that as a young guy coming into a new space like this, it's very uh, tempting to try to come here uh, and seem very like uh, intellectual and deep and all these other different things. But the reality is, is um, I love Jesus and I've, uh, I've encountered him eight years ago and dedicated my whole entire life to just telling people about him. So that's what you're going to get today. Um, Lord willing that you'll be able to receive something, but I just wanted to put my cards out there. Um, I don't want to try to be eloquent. Uh, I just want to present Jesus to you guys and, and and try to be faithful to the text as much as possible, okay? Um, so at Alhambra, we have this thing where if, if you... Uh, If something just resonates within you, you can can say an amen. It's okay to to talk back. We really actually appreciate it. It makes us feel comfortable a little bit. If you don't, it's totally fine. Um, But anyways, I just thought I should just put that out there. But anyways, we are um, in the book of John, chapter 1. And if you've been along the the series or going along a series with us, you know that uh, in the first week we started in John chapter 20. And we wanted to really encapsulate what John's uh, vision for this whole entire book, the way and the lenses that he wants us to have as we kind of read and navigate through uh, this book. His audience is essentially being set up to be able to see Jesus and believe in him. That is essentially the response that John is, is wanting his audience to have, is to believe in him. And we see this straight out the gate uh, in, in John chapter 1. Where Jesus, or when John says that Jesus is the Word, and the Word um, is God, and the Word was God, and 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 we see. Uh how he connects and tries to make this point that Jesus is God. And then he ushers in and talks about how uh, Jesus is this incarnated God who comes and he tabernacles or he dwells among uh, the creation. And then he, he brings forth about this character named John the Baptist who begins to uh, proclaim Jesus as this Lamb of God. And in order for us to understand what he's talking about, he's pulling from Old Testament imagery, and he's talking about this sacrificial lamb uh, that God used in the Old Testament that would absorb the sin of people right absorb the sin of God's people and this sacrificial lamb as John the Baptist is on the scene and he's baptizing people when he sees Jesus he goes and he makes his proclamation about him and he says that he is the sacrificial lamb and we see how John is orchestrating and piecing this this gospel together for us to be able to see and his readers to be able to see The fact that Jesus is indeed God. So I want to be able to do that as well. But in this particular passage, there's two things as I study through it that pop out to me. And those two particular things are the phrases come and see and follow me. And I'll go a little bit more into depth as we go and make our way through this passage. But, uh, One of the things that I really want us to see is, and Stephen really alluded to this really well, is that uh, one, our world is definitely broken. It is broken, it is uh, shattered, uh, but it is still beautiful, right? Yes, or not yesterday, a few days ago, I kind of had this reminder. um, I have a a four-year-old, I have two kids. I have a four-year-old and I have a one-year-old. And my four-year-old, he's getting smarter and smarter. Um, quarantine has really made him tap into his imagination. So he's doing like a whole bunch of uh, impersonations and all this other stuff. He's going to be an actor or something when he grows up. But uh, as we're driving, he sees this, uh, this guy who is uh, homeless. And, and my four-year-old speaks up and he says, Daddy, what is, what is wrong with him? Like what's wrong? What's going on? And honestly, that kind of kept uh, it made me and my wife like, oh snap! Like you, you're starting to pick up on these things, and it's this reminder that um, our world is broken, and the only one who has the power in order to uh, reconcile us back to the Father, but also make all things new again, is Jesus Himself, right? So, so, so as we press into this text, uh, I want to make the point that uh, Jesus is that extending piece of grace, that that grace piece from us uh, as we've been disconnected from the Father because of the rebellion um, in in Genesis chapter 3, that Jesus is that extension of grace to all of humanity. And it's only through him that uh, we will be reconciled with the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Okay, so we start in verse 35. And it reads this: It says, The next day again, John standing with two of his disciples, uh, standing with two of his his, uh, disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they follow Jesus. Now, there's two particular things that really sticks out to me. But we see that John the Baptist makes this proclamation, and on the next day, he does this again, but at this particular time, he's standing with his two disciples. Now, two things that pops into my head when we read this is, one, how come John the Baptist himself doesn't follow after Jesus? Right? How come John the Baptist himself doesn't follow after Jesus? And then two, how come his disciples just leave him with no type of hesitancy, and, and it's almost as if there's just no loyalty in this, in this game? Right? They just end up leaving. And one of the things that I wanted to uh, observe and slow down is that even though John the Baptist didn't really fully know himself or his ministry, he definitely did understand his purpose here on earth was just to simply point people to Christ. Right. As we dive into the Gospels, we end up seeing that uh, John makes this confession that uh, he must decrease in order for Jesus to increase. There's this certain type of humility and there's a certain type of uh, uh, understanding that everything or the, the human life is to point people back to Christ. Right. So, so as Jesus is becoming more and more famous, his ministry is actually going to be depleting, which is very kind of, um, it's, it's, it's different from our day and age and our culture today, right? A lot of, uh, especially millennials, right, us, we want to gain followers. We want to gain influence. Uh, we want to uh, try to attract people for all different types of reasons, right? But we see John the Baptist is relinquishing people to go and pursue after Jesus, right? So this is a beautiful thing and something that we should capture and that we, uh, as, as the body, should really get um, accustomed to. is continuously using any type of platform that we have to point to Christ, okay? So as we continue on, as we continue on... Uh, it says this in verse uh, 38. It says, Jesus turned and he saw them following him and they said, or he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, uh, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. So they came and saw and they were staying with him uh, until about the 10th hour, which would have been about Uh, 4 p.m. So they stayed with him for the rest of the day. But really, I love this question that Jesus asked when the disciples are following. He turns back and he says, dude, what what are you seeking? What are you essentially looking for? And I love this question because it's almost as if Jesus is having these disciples to evaluate what exactly they are, uh, why are they pursuing Jesus, or following after Jesus? Is this this ideal that uh, they, they want this comfort, or they want this, um, you know, some type of something from Jesus, or something like that? Maybe John the Baptist himself is a kind of like a weirdo, and they want like a different type of teacher, somebody who's more kind of like moderate and cool, right? And the reality is, I think Jesus is pressing into this reality that um, if 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 you're seeking something of comfort, or if you're seeking something of status, then you're going to be sadly disappointed. You're going to be sadly disappointed. Um, this is not what you're going to get when you follow Jesus. In the sense of when I say comfort, maybe the uh, the, the luxury lifestyle or whatnot, right? But but what but. Um, as you continue on, or as we uh, continue on and we see through the Gospels, we'll see essentially how uh, when Jesus is living his life, it doesn't necessarily bring on all of this comfort. He's, he's hated, he's, he's uh, pursued in a negative way, uh, and there's a lot of flack that's being to- uh, to- uh, thrown towards Jesus' way. Right. So I love how Jesus is pressing into this idea that um, if you're trying to pursue me. Then pursue me. But if there's something else that you're looking for, you're not going to get it here. It's it's not going to be found here. Right. So um, this kind of reflects and makes us think about why we gather in this particular space here today. Um, I know a lot of people, and and even myself in the past, uh, I'll come to church because I want uh, health, I want status, I want uh, popularity, I want to be known as this goody-two-shoe individual, right? Uh, I want to be known and accepted by all these other different uh, people, right? I want to be perceived at this particular way. But the reality is that This is not the reason why we congregate together. The reason why we congregate together is solely to pursue Jesus together, right? And this is what uh, 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 John is alluding to and pointing to within this scripture. And I think what Jesus is also getting at with this particular question, another thing that pops up to me as Jesus asked this question is... um, As he asks this question of what are you seeking, I wonder if he's alluding to the fact that he acknowledges that there is some sort of wedge that has been created by sin. And what I mean by that is that this particular wedge that we see in Genesis chapter 3, ever since then, we've been lost and we've been trying to find something. We've been trying to find something. We've been trying to find something to fulfill us, to make us happy, to make us feel at home, right? And we've been trying to go and pursue all these other different things, and we've just always come up empty, right? So Jesus is saying, "What, what is it that you're really seeking when you're following me?" And I find it interesting the response that the disciples have. They say, uh, "Where are you staying?" Where are you staying? And I think what these disciples are wanting is that they're, they're interested and they're intrigued in Jesus and that they want uh, to know more about Jesus. They want Jesus to show them hospitality. They want Jesus to invite them uh, into his inner circle. Yeah. Right? So we see this in this, in this passage um, as we come. And, and Jesus says something very beautiful. He says, come and see." Right, And this come and see isn't, and this is like a, uh, an old school reference, but this come and see isn't this like uh, MTV Cribs, come and see my home, like this is something that is like fantastic and all these other different types of things. This isn't the type of come and see that Jesus is talking about. But when Jesus is extending this invitation, he's saying, come and see what I'm about. Come and see what I am going to usher in. Now, the disciples more than likely have no idea what they're getting themselves into. But if they respond to this come and see, there will be something that is very beautiful that they will be able to experience. Right? So I think what John is doing, John the author, is that he's trying to set up his audience to prepare them to see what Jesus is ultimately going to be revealing in later chapters, right? He's going to be giving us and the disciples these glimpses of the kingdom with a simple invitation to come and see. Verse 40, it says, uh, one of the two who heard John speak uh, followed follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He was first, uh, or he was first found, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means to Christ. Verse 42, it says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So what we end up seeing right here is that, uh, one of the disciples that left John the Baptist was actually Andrew. And when Andrew got to spend that time with Jesus, he goes and he finds his, his brother. That's his knee-jerk reaction to go and tell his brother about what he's just experienced. And he makes this proclamation that they have found the Messiah, that they have found the Messiah. And I want to pause there for a second because there's something that Andrew does that John the Baptist does as well. Right? If we were to rewind a bit, John the Baptist, uh, as he makes his proclamation that Jesus is the Lamb of God, he makes that proclamation and then he simply steps back and allows his disciples to respond. I've made this proclamation. I've, I've spoken this truth. This is the Lamb of God who passes by us. What are you going to do about it? Right? And obviously, we see the two disciples go. But then, the same thing Andrew does is when Andrew spends this time with Jesus, he goes to his brother and he says, Yo, we've just seen the Messiah. I I, want to bring you towards him. I want to bring you towards him. And then he simply falls back and allowed Jesus to do the rest. Right? So, one of the things that I find really interesting is that upon meeting, Jesus. Jesus goes, or Peter meeting Jesus. Uh, Jesus instantly just changes his name, which kind of stands out to me a lot. I find it if I were to place myself in in, in, in uh, Simon's shoes, to, to, in, to come into contact with Jesus without any type of like relationship or anything like that, for him to just say, you know what, dude, I'm gonna just call you Cephas, right? It's almost like Dude, I don't know who you are. Why, why, are you, like, why do you feel like you can change my name, right? But this was something that was actually common that uh, rabbis would do with their disciples in order to uh, characterize their, uh, f- their, their followers, right? So he changes his name to Cephas, which means Peter, which also means rock. And I don't, obviously, Peter doesn't really know or the full extent of what his new name actually means or this name that Jesus has calling him actually means. But I wonder if if, if John is putting this into this particular gospel for us to be able to kind of get this glimpse to see that there is this, when an individual encounters Jesus, there is this transformational work that happens. Right? That you used to be this one way, but now you are Another. Right. So Jesus ends up changing his name upon meeting him. And uh, this is also something, too, that we see God the Father do in the Old Testament. We see it with Abram as God changes his name to Abraham. We see it with uh, uh, I, uh, Jacob as he changes his name to Israel. This is something that is very common, and I wonder if this is uh, John's attempt to also be alluding to the fact that Jesus is sharing the same characteristics as God the Father, right? Further pointers of Jesus is God. Jesus is God, right? So we continue on in verse uh, 43, and we pick up here, and it says the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. I want to revisit that. Um, verse 44, it says, now Philip was in Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, I want to make this observation as well, that just like John the Baptist and Andrew, we see Philip has this encounter with Jesus, and his first flinch is to go and tell his brother about it. But there's a different outcome to this particular, uh, 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 as he's, bearing witness to, to the truth of, of Jesus, saying that we have found the Messiah. And there's this little stumbling block, because the, 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 the individual Jesus uh, is, is born out of Nazareth. This, this low, uh, small, poor, impoverished kind of area. And, and, and uh, Nathaniel kind of asks, and it's kind of actually kind of a cruel, his statement, saying that what good comes out of Nazareth, right? So there's this stumbling block that's there, and there's a bit of doubt that comes into his mind, right? But somehow Philip convinces Nathaniel to go and meet Jesus, and they end up going towards Jesus. Now, I kind of find this other portion. Um, I'm I'm a very type of person who... um, I just read the Bible different. I like to make it, you know, come alive. So pardon me if this freaks you out a little bit, okay? But obviously in verse 47, uh, Jesus sees Nathanael coming towards him. And he says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, I chuckle a little bit because when I read this, I kind of read it like this. As if Jesus is seeing Nathanael come and he's like, hey, What's up, buddy? The Israelite, the one without no deceit. How you doing, my man? How you doing? Right? And then uh, Nathaniel has this, like, response of, how do you know me? Right? Because this, this expression, the way that Jesus comes upon him is as if he's known him for a very, very long time. Right? Or at least that's how I read it. That Jesus is identifying these things about Him, saying that you are without deceit, saying all of these things, but Nathaniel has never met this individual before, but it seems as if he's known Him his whole entire life, right? So Nathaniel asks us this question of, uh, "Do I do I know you? Right? Do I do I know you?" Um. Verse 49, or I'm sorry, the rest of verse 48. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, where you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And I want to pause there. Now, I don't know specifically if there's any particular connection or tie to Nathaniel and that fig tree. But based off his expression, it almost insinuates that this was probably a place that was um, of privacy, right? A place in which not a lot of people would have known this about uh, Nathaniel, right? And he expresses like, whoa, nobody really knows this about me, this part about me, but yet you know you must be the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Right? And he begins to make this proclamation. So, uh continue on. Jesus answered him, "Because I say or because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these?" Right? There's A couple of things that I want to kind of really pull out as we've gone through this particular text. One of these particular things is the fact that uh, the disciples are using this verbiage a lot of, uh, we found the Messiah. We found him, we found him, right? But in reality, who really found who? Was it the disciples who were uh, out searching for him? Or was it God himself who incarnated incarnated himself and looked and actively pursued his creation? Even though the disciples think that they have found him, what we know to be true is the fact that it is actually God the Father who knew Nathaniel and all of us before we were even formed, and he pursued before we even had any understanding that we were even lost. Those disciples had no idea that they were lost. Many of us and many of uh, individuals in this, this world have no idea that they are lost. But Jesus comes and he finds and, and, and the spirit of God draws us to him. That is what we see in scripture. That is what we see here today. Yeah. Right? Another thing that I want to point out is the fact that throughout this whole entire section, there's all these different titles of Jesus that has been used. I don't know if you guys were able to catch on to that, but just here are some of them right here. John the Baptist and Andrew calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Jesus is also called the Son of God. He's also called Rabbi. He's also called Messiah. He's also called Jesus of Nazareth. He's also called King of Israel. He's also called the Son of Man. Right? And it's almost as if John, the writer, is screaming out to his audience and to us today that here we have Jesus from Nazareth, the messianic king, the teacher of Israel, and the son of God who will die for the sins of the world. But when we hear that, what do we do with that? Right? John is alluding to it. His audience sees it. We see it. What do we do with that? I said I wanted to circle around back to verse 43 where uh, Jesus calls Philip, and he uses these beautiful words of follow me, follow me, right? And as I've already mentioned in the beginning, this world that we're living in right now is broken. It's broken. Whether we decide to see it or whether you know, we're naive to it, we are living in a broken world. I mean, my four-year-old is picking up on this. And what Jesus is, in the grand scheme of things, is this extension of grace, of God's grace coming before a lost people and providing a different way to live. A different way, providing a different lens to see the world. Giving us a purpose. Right? So, uh, I wanted to circle back. To this, because this particular call to follow Jesus isn't one that is just exclusive to uh, Philip. It's extended to his audience that he's writing to, but it's also extended to us today. Whether you consider yourself to be a believer or a non-believer, right? But but I ask myself the question: What does it mean to be a follower? What does it mean to follow something and the best way that I can interpret this is essentially being a follower of something or to follow something is to be in close proximity to that thing that you're following in a way that you can be able to see and duplicate what is happening in front of you right I've I've been given permission to share this story okay my wife um Listen, I'll just admit it. Quarantine has been hard, especially with two uh, pint-sized babies. Like, when you got little kids biting your ankles, it's difficult, okay? Especially when you're trying to get work done. Um, our, 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 my, my one-year-old, who's turning two in December, he's starting to, to like, climb and get into things, right? And we often tell him, no, don't do these things. But right now, he's at the stage where he likes to stand on stuff. So one day, he ends up falling, and he hurts himself. And I'm just going to let you know, it was just one of those days, and if you judge me, then just judge me, okay? It was just one of those days. It was one of those days for my wife and I where we're just like, you know what, bud, we've told you a thousand times, just, you know, cry it out. Just cry it out, right? And then my, my four-year-old comes, and he uh, walks And he goes to our one-year-old and he begins to embrace him and say, are you okay, Kai? Are you okay? It's okay. And instantly we we feel like jerks as parents and we're just like, well, our four-year-old is parenting better than us, right? (laughs) But, But here's the thing. It actually came as a shocker and also an encouragement to my wife and I because the reality is that we... We never really explicitly told our son that, hey, when Kylan falls, you go and you embrace him and make sure you see he's okay. But after the four years of constantly seeing us embrace our son, when he does fall, when he does uh, hurt himself, our son was able to catch that. Right? There's this phrase that says that uh, things are not taught, they're caught. Right? Our son, being in close proximity with us, has seen the things that we have done and he has duplicated it or, or, or has mirrored it with his own brother without us having to share or tell him to do those things. Right? So when Jesus extends this uh, grace of follow me. Jesus is extending this invitation to not only just hear the words that he's saying, but to see what he's doing, to slow down and to see what he's doing. And here's my question, or not a question, but a thought. What would it be like if the church were to slow down, examine Jesus in the text, and duplicate and replicate what he does to a broken and fallen world? How much of a witness will we be if we were to be true followers of Jesus, wanting and delighting in the intimacy and the closeness, and picking up on those things that he does? What will we be like as a church? Something that I want us to think about as Jesus extends this beautiful invitation to follow him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much just for your grace and your mercy, God. And I thank you so much that you have come and you have extended that grace to us to uh, not only just hear your words, but to be intimate with you, to see you, to follow you, to walk with you, to see the way that you engage the woman caught in adultery. To see the way that you have engaged the woman who's weeping at your feet. The woman at the well. Those who are blind. Those who are outcast and marginalized. Father, how beautiful it would be as you open up our eyes and you open up our hearts. That we will duplicate and that we will replicate that in the, in the fallen and broken world. As we are proclaiming so that we may be a true witness to a broken and fallen world. Lord, we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.